Welcome to Mind Movement. So, it is Friday again, hooray! I want to say it's week 15, I think this is the end of week 15. Um, it's hard for me to keep track now, it's been, it's been such a long journey, it's hard to imagine, but um, nonetheless, here we are, and uh, although in New York City, we no longer have um, a huge COVID outbreak yesterday, uh, we broke a new record in, in this country for the most cases. Um, so here we are, <laughs> week 15 of the post-apocalyptic world. And on Fridays, we've been talking all along about immune health and how to keep ourselves healthy and strong during this just bizarre, um, bizarre, crazy, chaotic, unusual experience. And so joining me for this conversation, two of Mind Movement's nutrition team members, we have registered dietitian, Ms. Sydney Green, and nutrition and health coach, Morton Jensen. Welcome, guys. So nice, nice to see you. Um, these are some of my favorite discussions every week, so it's it's a good time to to talk to you guys. So to start things off, we had talked previously about wanting to discuss meditation. And I think especially right now, it is a really important conversation and it can be very intimidating for people. Everyone sort of at this point has heard meditation is helpful, but it just, you know, maybe even have sat down to try, but it's so overwhelming. It feels so difficult and in a way, you know, not organic that people give up very easily. And so I thought it might be helpful just to start with my first experience with meditation, um, just to kind of introduce why it is this is so important, uh, because it really is important and it's been such a long journey and we all have our own personal experiences with meditation, how it's helpful and what it is. But ultimately, my experience with meditation began unusually with a really chronic pain condition. And so, right, so I had um, really serious um, uh, herniated discs in my neck. And, um, you know, when you wake up and you can't move, like you, you're just like emanating pain, right, from every fiber of your being. And... I went to the doctor, like most people do in that situation, and doctor said, you have two options. You can have this surgery that probably will make things worse, or you can have muscle relaxers, painkillers, and um, the anti-inflammatory injections. Okay. So, and then he was like, yeah, you can go to, you know, physical therapy and 
we'll just see what happens. But I was in so much pain. And so of course, my first reaction was like excited because I had these two prescriptions and I was like, yay, right? But then, but then quickly thereafter, I was like, oh, wait a minute, I've done this before and this is not gonna be a solution. So I did what everybody else would do in that situation, probably. I went home and I hit Google and said, all right, Google, what else can you do? Like, what are some remedies for pain? And, um, and lo and behold, had found an article or blog or whatever it was on meditation and using meditation for pain and healing. Now, at that time, <clears throat> that connection, the relationship between those two things was not front and center, but I had been trained in meditation in college in a Buddhist meditation class that I had been taking. So I remembered that one night back in college, it had worked. It had, I had a horrible stomach pain. I thought I was gonna have to go to the hospital. I did this mindfulness of breath exercise that these teachers told me to do and it worked. And so in that moment, when I read that article years, years and years later, I thought, oh my God, maybe this will work. And so every day I woke up and I did meditation and a month later, the condition was completely gone and really never came back. It was probably between four and four weeks and four to three months, somewhere in there. And so after that, I was in stunned disbelief, like what the hell just happened? I was sure that it was the meditation and not the weekly, you know, once a week physical therapy. So, you know, I was like, what the hell happened? What is this? And that's what ultimately led to my understanding of a meditation and, and how it heals the, the mind, but also the body. And so, you know, that's a, a big moment. That's like a, wow, this thing is the real deal. And so first, I guess I'd, I'd like to hear from you guys about what your experience with meditation is and what it does. And, you know, and then I guess we can go from there. Um, also, if you could just maybe mention what your, um, what your version of meditation means, right? Because that can mean a lot of things for a lot of people. And I think most of us just like sort of think meditation is just sitting quietly and not thinking. And of course that's impossible. And so I would also be curious to hear from you what it is that um, your meditation practice looks like. So um, Sydney, why don't we start with you just because you're, uh, you're next to me on the little boxes. Hold on. Wait a minute, yeah. hold on, I have to pin you so that I can, all right. Cool. Um, it's such a powerful experience that you had. And I think I relate a lot to what you started off a conversation with is like the idea of meditating can be like super overwhelming. And I think I always wanted to be this person that like sat on a mountaintop for hours and had like a channel just like shoot from the sky, you know, and that was not my experience. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I, I was really into yoga at a young age. I, I started doing yoga when I was like 13 or 14, and I would go to the studio five times a week. And that carried through onto, and you know, we would always end the classes like sitting, and I was able to do that. Um, and then college came, and grad school came, and partying, and my yoga practice went out the window, and then 
the idea of meditating really didn't come back until I got sober. And I remember, you know, it's like a big suggestion um, in the 12 step community that, you know, you sit down and meditate. And I was like, you want me to sit down and do what now? Like I am sober. I have all these thoughts that I used to numb out and I'm not sitting down and doing that. So my experience started with, um, my sponsor in the beginning would be like, sit for 30 seconds and text me after. And so I really started there. I started and I still use insight timer, which, um, I found to be way more, soothing than having like the alarm clock from my phone go off so you can set like really nice bells and I really for weeks just sat for 30 seconds and would text her and then slowly built up to like a minute and then it was three minutes and then it became seven and whatnot and um yeah as you said like the thoughts are still there right but it's um it's for me, and I think the whole point of it, right, I'm still like learning and understanding um, is that you can have these thoughts and if you're able to sit, you don't have to chase them and engage with them. You can constantly just come back to the breath. And that then carries out when I'm in line at the coffee shop and someone's pissing me off. Or I once heard this, um, this older gentleman say that he meditates 25 times a day hmm. when he's in line, when he's um, in traffic, he, like coming back to, I remember my therapist also taught me um, a mantra like Satanama and I will do that like often. I think meditation for me to get out of my black and white thinking has really been that it doesn't have to be sitting on a pillow, right? It can be, that I walk outside and try and um, see how many shades of green I can find. Just being really present and not engaging with my, noticing my thoughts, but not engaging with them. Mm -hmm. um, and so each day is different, but I will definitely say that my practice involves something before I engage with the world, whether it's five minutes sitting down, sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's a guided meditation, um, I'm also really big into music and sound really helps me. Um, silence can be really overwhelming. And I think if I am going to do a longer meditation, it's really helpful for me to do it in a group setting. Mm -hmm. So at retreats, I get a lot out of that. But when it's just me walking, um, is better for me. Um, so it flows and it's still a work in progress to find what really suits me. But I think that's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. my experience. <laughs> really helpful. And I, yeah. And I should also say that when you, when I took this Buddhist one-on-one course, the first thing we learned how to do was what's called the mindfulness of breath. But the second thing was walking meditation was to go out in the world and use that mindfulness of breath. So yeah, I mean, moving and being in the world is really what it's all about. Yeah. Morton. Yes. Um, I had actually forgotten that uh, you told me that before your experience, your first experience with meditation, I'd forgotten. It's, it's so, it's crazy what it does. Um, so my, 
I, I never really um, knew anything about meditation or yoga practice or anything like that. Um, so when I came across it, um, it was recommended to me uh, after I had my first panic attack and anxiety became a massive part of my life. And um, I went to see a therapist um, and she recommended that I tried Headspace. Um, and I was like, what is that? What is meditation even? She didn't actually uh, even say the word meditation. She just said, I've heard about this app. It's really good for, you know, calming, reducing anxiety and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so, and she said, you only have to sit down for 10 minutes in the beginning. So, you know, you can just try it. If you don't like it, you'll, you know, you can just stop using it or do what, do whatever. Um, and it's free, right? The, the, initially it's free. So, so, um, I gave it a go. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want any more panic attacks. So, um, so um, I definitely wanted to give it anything a go. And so I started um, using Headspace for a while. Um, and I was, I had no idea what I was doing. I was paranoid. I was doing everything wrong, <laughs> you know? And what I obviously know now is that you can't do anything wrong. If you're sitting down, closing your eyes, breathing slowly, you <laughs> you cannot do anything wrong with, with meditation, but I was like, what are all the, what am I supposed to do with my thoughts? What am I supposed to do uh, with my breathing? And am I doing it right? Um, I don't, I really, I kept saying to myself, you, you can't, you're not doing it right because your thoughts are still popping into your head. So, you know, <laughs> all these things that I know are silly, but it, it's, it's funny because it's the same conversation I have now with people who've never uh, meditated before and it's everything they're thinking about it is what I used to think about it. And, you know, I used to have that picture of, of a person sitting on the top of a mountain exactly like this, like you said, Sydney. And it's, um, that, that was the only thing I knew about meditation, but it's, um, but obviously what I learned is that you can, you can be in any, position you like, whatever is comfortable for you. And you can even, like you were saying, walk outside and do meditation, which I'm still building up to. I haven't tried that yet properly, but um, it's something I definitely want to do. Um, but the other thing with meditation is, so Headspace was the beginning of my journey with it. Um, and I, I didn't stick to it for that long. I did the first initial intro course or whatever it was um, for I think 10 days maybe and then um, I started the second course and then I just halfway through I just couldn't do it 20 minutes was way too long for me um, so and then I stopped I actually stopped for a while and um, I didn't feel the benefits um, I, I, I didn't actually get that much out of it I thought um, then uh, a couple of months later, uh, Gordon came back, my, my partner um, from work and said one of his clients had done this transcendental meditation course. And he said it, it changed his life completely. Um, and so, you know, okay, that sounds amazing. I want to do that. So I signed up for this course and started transcendental meditation. And that was, um, they sold it really well. <laughs> And you know all the benefits and everything, 
and um, and it actually that that was for me that was the beginning of my proper meditation journey because that's that's when I really started to see the benefits. I really, I wanted to really give it a go again and really try and stick to it. So I I stuck with it for quite a while, um, you know, three or four months, and, and and within that time period, my anxiety had definitely gone down a lot and you know i could i i started seeing what it was doing how it was helping me sort of not not control my thoughts but at least you know just be with them um so that was that was uh that was kind of groundbreaking for me and then um i just i kept doing it and um i don't but that but that has then grown into other types of meditation as well so now i'm like I'm, I'm practicing all sorts of different meditations now and it changes uh over time then i you know a year ago i came across um dr joe dispenser and and that changed my whole world in terms of what meditation can do and and how how much it helps me as well so so now i'm just open to trying any meditation so I whenever I start a new meditation it's usually I do it at least three or four weeks before I, I try something new I, I want to see the effects and I want to you know see what see what happens and see how I feel about it because I've tried um, there's another app called called calm um, and and part of the reason sometimes with guided meditations for me is that um, I get tired of listening to the same person guiding me through it. So, you know, so sometimes you just need to change it. So, uh, and obviously there's thousands, if not millions, different types of guided meditations out there. So there's plenty to choose from, but um, I, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's where I, w I guess I want to leave it. Um, it. It's kind of, um, it's a huge, it's been a huge, huge, ugh. it's been a huge, dif made a huge difference in my life. And, and I'm really um, uh, just so appreciative that I, that someone recommended it to me once because I don't think I would have found it myself because, mm -hmm. well, maybe I would, but you know, mm -hmm. at the time I actually once had, when I was doing the transcendental meditation training, I, um, I did it in a group setting. Um, and it's incredibly powerful. I've, that was, I've only ever done group settings a couple of times, but one of them was incredibly powerful. One of the first times though, I actually had an anxiety attack during my meditation, which was intense. Mm -hmm. um, and they explained that could happen. Um, but I, I, you know, I stuck with it because I was in a room full of people and I didn't want to interrupt their, mm -hmm. their meditation. So mm -hmm. it was like, I was kind of forced to sit in my seat deal with the anxiety attack and then move on. That was, that was an incredible experience, but, um, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I, I got through it. And then after that, everything just became a bit better. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Um, my God, there's, I think that's the, an important detail that I hear from both of you, right? There are as many forms of meditation as there are people on the planet at this point. Right. And, 
for me in the beginning, actually, Sydney, I just remembered when you mentioned meditation being a big part of 12-step fellowship and the, the rooms. I remember I'd gone to a woman's meeting and this was even before the incident with the pain. And um, it was a very small meeting. It was at the Realization Center and it was in one of their really smart, small group rooms. And at this meeting, I don't even think it exists anymore, but it was like on Saturdays at four o'clock and it was a small uh, meeting and everybody would take turns reading out of this med guided meditation book. And this one was all about like planting a seed, you know, like inside and watching it grow. And I was like five minutes in, I didn't even want to be at this meeting. I was probably two months sober. Right. And something happened in that meeting. I was started crying hysterically. I didn't want anybody to see what was going on. Um, so somehow in this guided meditation, there was some real like healing that started to happen. And, you know, you reminded me of it when you started talking, I think also for me, the guided meditations were important because I needed, I, I like the ones where you go on a journey, like where you, you know, like you go to meet like your spirit guide and not because I love angels, but because it's, it's fun. It's a new experience. You know, you walk down the stairs and you go into a door and on the other side of the door is this new world, whatever it is, you know, and they're all different. You don't know what to expect. And so there's a lot of like, oh, this is going to be fun. Uh, so, and I think that's where, what I needed to start uh, way back because like Martin was saying, or, or like you were saying, just to sit I think at first it was overwhelming. There was like, there's like a panic that first comes like, and then in a group, if you're really self-conscious, what happens is you become really self-aware and start like, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to make a sound. People are listening, you know, you get really paranoid and it's, you know, this weird sort of uh, initial experience and you have to settle into that and forget everybody else. And then, you know, relax through that. And, learning how to manipulate your breathing there's a um there was a yoga a yogi uh, and, and i was listening to some you know yoga video or whatever and they the guy said i asked my master my guru um you know how do you get to enlightenment or something and the guy said you do you know ten thousand uh inhales and exhales every morning or something right like you sit and you just inhale and exhale in a full inhale and a full exhale. And I think that's another piece of this. Like we're so chest breathy. We're, we never fully exhale. We never use this instrument of our breathing to the way we can. I mean, it's such a resource for control, right? Like we know that if you just slow down your exhale, you immediately send the signal to the nervous system that the threat has been removed. So if you do three slow exhales, the body goes, oh, nobody's trying to kill me. Everything's okay. And you know, you, you can calm down. So just learning about how to breathe, you know, use your breathing to calm down can be like you were saying, you know, the initial therapy recommendation was go get calm with this meditation stuff or with not even with this app that calms you down. And I think that's that's what happens, right? In in this culture where we're it's go 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 all the time, we're always like in our chest and trying to use our intellect, like think 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 think, 
you know, to come up with answers. So we don't know that answers don't come until you learn how to slow down. Right. And, and I think that's, that's really the most important message on the other side of slowing down and learning to quiet yourself and calm yourself down. That's where creativity is. That's where, you know, who you really are. That's where who you really are is. That's where what you really want is. That's where um, learning about like whatever your path really is in life. All of the things that everybody says they want all the time exist on the other side of, oh, I just have to calm down. But for some reason, you know, and, and also, and you know, from listening and watching and learning and reading about Joe Dispenza, one of the things that happens is we can become addicted to that excitatory reaction in the body. And so because it's so addictive to be in the state of like this all the time, right? We don't even, we don't want to calm down. We like this, uh, even though it's torturing us and ruining our lives, but you know, we're addicted to it in a way as well. So it's tricky, right? I mean, this is not, it's not an easy thing to just jump into a meditation practice because it's really counter to everything we've been taught. Yeah, I, I, um, I, know, I know, I have a lot of friends and I know a lot of people who, I, I, I would love for them to slow down, but I'm worried that if they do, it gets too overwhelmed because they, are, they live in a world that is so fast. And I, I, I can't even, I mean, I can see how it can work for them, obviously, but it, it, it's, I think with this particular, for certain people, and I think for, for most people, especially, you know, anyone who's not used to it, the very slow progress or slow, you know, start, like Sydney was saying, 30 seconds at a time in the beginning is, is the way forward because it, you know, like I said, I had an anxiety attack during a meditation and I, I wasn't, at the time, I guess I wasn't ready for, for, for the group setting and for the, for the length of it and that. So, you know, it, it, building slow, building it up slowly is uh, is definitely um, a, a, a very important way to do it. I um, I had um, it just reminded me what one of the um, one of the reasons why I I I, I really committed to um, to sticking with meditation was because. Um, I said I was having panic attacks, but twice in my life, they were so bad that my mind just went crazy. And with that, my breathing and my breathing became so insane that I stopped breathing and I couldn't. So, you know, I took a breath in and I couldn't let it out. And so I just kept doing it. So I was, it was stuck up here and I couldn't do anything until I felt like I was going to pass out, you know, and, and that's, that's, it's not fun. So, you know, that's, uh, I, um, that's why I decided that, you know, this absolutely has to stop. I have to slow down my brain because my brain kept thinking, what's going on? Why is this happening? Oh, I must be sick. I must be dying. Something must be going on. And just kept looping. Right. So, um, so <laughs> that's, um, that's why, uh, being able to control breathing is incredibly important. And, and you're right. I'm noticing even now still that, um, 
you know, it is this chesty breathing that we all do most of the time. And, and when you take that deep breath into your whole diaphragm and everything, it just feels incredible. You can feel your body filling with, with air and calm and, and just everything you need to just slow down. It's just, it's quite incredible. Um, in the beginning of my meditation journey, I, 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 like I said, I never really felt the benefits, until, but now I can, you know, I can use breath and meditation quite quickly to calm myself down, which is amazing. Yeah, I think too, um, I think too with like a slow start or whatever, or the idea of like it having to be perfect or look a certain way, like Martin was saying, um, I think that prevented me for a long time from ever really starting because I was like, oh, it has to be 20 minutes. And if it's not, then I'm not doing it right. And it's just like anything with exercise or food or whatever. We have this idea that if it's not perfect, then it won't count. And so we just don't do it. Um, and I think really for me, like it's still constantly like, okay, I didn't do a 20 minute thing sitting on my meditation pillow, but I did five minutes and then I walked and watched the leaves and that totally counts. It's no one's like keeping score or keeping track. And um, two with the breathing and how powerful it is. I remember sitting, I was at this kundalini recovery retreat thing at Kripalu and the teacher was like I'm going to teach you a three-part breath and it, he just guided us through like starting your breath the lower part pausing bringing it up pausing and then bringing it up here and I was like okay like when are when's lunch I know how to breathe but then when I tried it I was like oh my god I don't breathe like that and I forgot that I have this instrument and then twofold I think um for anyone that has like body image stuff so often we sit like holding our abs in or like especially after a meal like sucking in your stomach so that your your stomach doesn't roll over your pants or we eat a meal and our stomach expands and know that's uncomfortable. And so I think that's one part, especially for people that have body image or disordered eating stuff, like you're holding your stomach in and softening the belly and really breathing. You have to like, right now my stomach's relaxed and sure that might not be the vision of a six pack, but it's allowing breath to come in rather than like sitting up and yeah, like being all up here. Um, so it, it plays so many roles. And I think first for me in the beginning, it was hard to sit and take really deep breaths because in addition to sobriety, there was food and body image stuff and really getting and sitting comfortably is hard because you start to notice more um and i think uh his name's yeah dr james gordon he's a psychiatrist and he teaches this he teaches he didn't create it but like whatever soft belly breathing and gosh when i did that i was like 
do you want my belly to be soft, right? We don't usually hear that, <laughs> but it's so much more relaxing and it's so much more calming um, and it allows so much air to come in. Um, so I wonder, Sam, like, what are your thoughts with that? Like, as this, like, having a body with, with meditating, it's hard in the beginning. Yeah, I'm, it's actually, it's funny you mentioned that. That's what healed my eating disorder was meditation. So, you know, I rarely share about this, but the neck injury I had was from the violent motion of bulimia which I had from the time I, I didn't, it was like this thing when I wasn't using drugs, I would do, <laughs> right? And so when I first got sober, it would come in waves. And right around the time that I got married, you know, you get married, you have to lose weight. And I was doing it the regular way, you know, diet and exercise, but it wasn't coming fast enough. Mm -hmm. So right after I got home from the wedding, so, so right before I decided, you know, of course, in my, right, in my, <laughs> stunning wisdom of the day. I was like, well, yeah, the last week before my wedding, I'll just go back to being bulimic, right? And then right after I got back from the wedding, of course, you know, I gained weight. I was gone for two weeks in Mexico and did whatever I wanted. So I was miserable. I was the m most depressed I probably had ever been because right after you get back from your wedding, you realize now what, right? And which I've talked about before. And so I, of course, went back to this thing in my in my self-hate and misery. And that's really what gave me the, the I, I mean, I can't prove that, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It was the torque. And thank God for that, because at the end of the day, it's not only what, you know, was my, was the doorway into everything, into life as I know it now, but also healing. It was the, the healing of that eating disorder. It was the healing from addiction, not the first, you know, it wasn't the putting it down, but it was the, the restructuring of my whole brain and nervous system to be able to be a person in the world again and not a serial killer um, waiting to implode on the street, right? Um, but that's, and it, yeah, in, in, in yogic, you know, Buddhism and yoga, people don't know this. They don't, we think in our modern world, that like it's it's sort of interesting it's kind of like hubris we think that we're the first to ever have been going through what we're going through like nobody realizes that they're um that pain or loneliness or sense of you know self-consciousness or low self-esteem they don't know that everybody else has that too you know for the most part they think it's just them and it's like the great irony of being in that state you just think you're the only one that's ever been through that right um but these ancient teachings, they teach that life is suffering and that unless you pursue a path out, and in Buddhism, it's meditation, in uh, yogic culture, it's, you know, meditation, philosophy, living a certain way, and yoga, um, you know, all of those things are part of the healing process. But that's what they're about. The main purpose is to end suffering. That is what yoga is for. That is what Buddhism is about. Buddha was a yogi, right? So, and the story of Buddha, most people don't know, but the story was he was a rich man, had everything. Then he decided, all right, well, it must be the wealth that's causing my misery, my suffering. 
So I'm going to reject all earthly possessions and just be a poor man. Of course, that didn't do it either. So that didn't mm -hmm. end suffering. So empty and right, the story goes that he was, you know, completely famished and sits, you know, falls into a tree basically in the woods. And in that, like, I'm starving exhaustion has this enlightenment, has this um, moment of wisdom and sort of sees the whole thing, right? Life is nothing and we're all one and then decides that meditation is the path to enlightenment. So he was a yogi though, had some wisdom already, all of that, but that's the story. And I think that is what religion altogether is. Like you don't have to look at those as religious teachings. They can be whatever you want them to be, but um, they can be philosophies, wisdom, traditions, whatever. But that is what religion is. It's just a way to end people's suffering and to give them principles to live by that will end their suffering. I think the problem when, because we've gotten so science focused, the tragedy is we've just thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We've said, we think this is bullshit. There's no guy in the sky, you know, which I certainly don't believe there is either, but maybe you do and that's great, whatever, right? I, I don't, it's not the point. The point is that when we decide to reject that, we then say, well, all of the teachings that came with these things that might be useful for my life and my health and my sanity must be garbage too. And I think that's the tragedy because there has, there's teachings that have been around since humans first, since the beginning of recorded history that are helpful. And, you know, you don't have to believe anything to use those things, those things as tools to become a sane freaking person, right? Because I think at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want to be happy. And unfortunately, when you, um, if you don't have any tools for happiness, which let's be honest, none of us were taught or born taught or, or not given to us, then what you're left with is trying to control the world around you to be happy. You're left with, let me, you know, force my partner to behave the way I want you're left trying to, you know, get, um, have the lights, the lights that you're, the, the, you know, the traffic lights have to all change at the right time. The supermarket people have to operate on your time clock, right? If you think that if you have no tools, the only tool you have is I need to find the perfect set of circumstances to make me happy all the time. And that is such a sad, horrible, <laughs> no solution solution that what we have is very unhappy people all the time, not realizing that they always have had the ability to not feel that way, but have no idea how to get to that place. And I think meditation is a step. It's one step. It's a tool, but it is like a doorway. It's like a, like you said, if you learn to just sit for 30 seconds, listen to a sound. Like you said, I use the gong sound. I was meditating while laying on a raft in the pool this morning. Okay. Like that's meditation. <laughs> I'm listening to my gong, like laying in the sun, right? It does not have to be a horrible thing that, you know, you dread. It can be this really fun thing that you enjoy. You got to find what works for you. You can't do it somebody else's way. Right. But, um, but the benefits are so extraordinary that it's, 
it, it's just a horrible shame that people don't know um, that it has these extraordinary benefits and are not taught how to find that or how to get access to that anywhere near the way that would be in their better interest. I, um, I just got kicked off Instagram. <laughs> Can you, um, oh, just double click. Yeah. Um, I, um, oh, let me just do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 it's a huge gift. I mean, it, it really can be like the beginning of your whole life if you can allow it to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, so what we were saying before about, you know, everyone being so busy all the time. And I think what before this COVID thing, what people used to use as that time when they calm down is when they go on vacation. Um, right. And, and, and you see, you know, whatever you do, you go lie on the beach, you go lie on somewhere and you just, you relax, but you, but most people think of that as the only time when they can do that. And it's such a shame because like you say, you have, you do have the capability of doing it right now in this moment, um, in your own home or wherever you are, go find a park and sit and, you know, watch the trees. I was in Central Park the other day and all I did, I just stared into the sky and saw all the little uh, small bugs flying around because the, the light was perfect and everything, Watching, looking into a tree and the sky and seeing all the bugs. And I just, I was mesmerized. And, you know, that's a form of meditation too. And it was, it's incredible. So, you know, even just going to the park or like you were saying, lying in the pool, that sounds very nice, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's just one of many, many ways to, to kind of calm yourself down and, and just, you know, perform meditation, right. practice meditation. Yeah, I, the more that I'm learning, so you guys know I've been studying Ayurveda and boy, the more I'm learning about it, the more I realize that every aspect of my lifestyle is set up to destroy me. You know, I mean, and, and the amount that, it's really true, it, I know that sounds dramatic, but it's really true. <laughs> um, even the way that New Yorkers tend to exercise, like, go to exercise, you know, it's like this, this intense, insane, oh my God, I better do it. Or I'm going to get fat, like craziness. Um, even the way I was doing yoga, I mean, I don't tend to exercise that way, but I was doing yoga in 108 degrees, right? Uh, which is a form of that in a way, right? And, um, and it took really having to have someone stare right at me and say that to me before that this, what you're doing is bad for you. And it's really chipping away at your soul. Um, <laughs> right. Like before I was like, Oh, Oh my God. Right. Yeah. This isn't good before I'm willing to actually take a step and look at it and go, okay, something has to really change. And I'm somebody who does meditate, but it was like the amount of meditation that I would need to do every day to offset my lifestyle is so extreme that it's, like basically not doing anything. And so we have to make shifts to see the results. And I also want to be very clear that yes, when we talk about results, we're talking about feeling better and that's nice and all of that. But you also, when you start to feel better, your perception changes. And when your perception changes, your life changes. And so 
this isn't just a suggestion to help you feel better. It's also a suggestion to help you to move in the direction of having the life that you really, really want. And that's sort of, that was my incentive. I don't know, you know, like it's always been my incentive to be able to feel like I'm able to create the life that I want most and not the one that I feel like I'm stuck in because that's the best it's going to get. Totally. I think the most powerful experience I have had, it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day. I, um, to your point, like through a mindfulness practice, I, this was maybe like a year ago or something. I, long story short, had to switch my registration to be a New York person, even though I've been living in New York for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So that meant that I had, and there was like, a, I had to do it pretty quickly. It was like an insurance thing with the car. And so that meant I had to go to the DMV. I had to, which like no one likes going there, right? Mm -hmm. Like I had to do this by myself. I haven't like, it felt like a really overwhelming task. Um, the plates and the this, I had to find old paperwork and whatever. I had to like cancel all my clients for the day. I show up to the DMV. Like I got there a little early thinking I would like outsmart everyone. Like, no, people show up two hours early. The line was already down, wrapped around. And I just got in line. Like I didn't send text messages out like, oh my God, can you believe this is happening? My heart didn't start racing. Like I just stood in line and I put on a podcast and then there were so many bumps in this experience. Like there was a ticket and I was going from this counter to that counter. And I had this moment in line where I was just able to observe what was happening rather than being like, oh my God, this is happening to me. Why me? I'm a victim of the situation. This is never going to get resolved. My life sucks, which was like my state of the world. And then I would wonder why like I would have these horrible days. And I just had this moment, like it was so profound. I, w I was just like, okay, here I am. I'm in line at the DMV. This is what I'm doing. I'm taking care of this. Like I'm doing all the next right actions. This is what like a responsible adult does. Like go you and you're not freaking out. You're not being a baby. Mm -hmm. And it was only because I had slowed down. I had gotten into mindful um, meditation. I, I, I don't know. And I was like, oh, this is how one's life changes. Like still same circumstances, but just totally different perspective. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was frustrating, but it didn't ruin my day and my weekend. And I wasn't an asshole to like the people at the DMV, you know? And so it all has like this profound effect. That's not every day, <laughs> but, um, yeah, to, to your point of like your whole perception changes, mm -hmm. for me at least, I'm able to like detach and observe rather than being so entangled with everything that happens, mm -hmm. um, which then allows for that life to change because then you're no longer like a victim of your life. You you can live your life mm. and move it. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Right. It's malleable. Yeah. You're not stuck. And, um, and I think now like in COVID, man, like I'm able to see instead of, oh, this is happening to me, da, da, da. Like throughout the day, I'm able to just notice I'm really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and like name it rather than what's happening and I got to fix. Like I'm just uncomfortable and this too will pass. Mm. But I don't need to like explode stuff over it. And that's only because in the morning it can slow down and get grounded a bit. Um, I mean, there's still been freakouts, obviously, but it just, it's not the way that I live my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can't believe that we didn't even mention COVID, but that's, I mean, there's no certainty. There's no certainty. I mean, even though in New York, we're feeling much better as things are opening up, they're opening up so carefully because the rest of the nation is experiencing their own version of the peak now, uh, at least a large percentage of it is. And so it's not, the crazy is still very much alive and well, and the uncertainty is as well. And so it's so easy right now to start to get ahead to start thinking oh god what's going to happen and what's going to happen in september and what are we going to do you know i think because it's summer we're all able to sort of say all right well it's summer you know um i can kind of find a way to get through this but what the hell is going to happen in the fall and certainly if you have children that's that's going on and you know it's so easy for me to start down that road and go oh god you know and start to feel dread like that's fear but then it's also even easier at this point to just go, yeah, no, <laughs> keeping it in the day. Let's focus on what we can control. I can't control that right now. I can only control how I feel in this moment. That's it. And I don't want to feel this way. So how am I going to change that and feel the way I want? And there's this wise teacher that I sometimes work with who always says this. And every time they say it, it's so profound, but <clears throat> she says, you know, as a human being, you get to feel anything you want at any moment. Why do you always have to wait for the circumstances to feel that way? Like, you don't, right? The, you all want what you say you want because you think it's going to make you feel better, but yet you have the ability at any time to feel exactly that way right now before that thing happens. So why wouldn't you just do that? If you're so desperate to have that experience, why wouldn't you just work on cultivating that feeling right now because you can have that at any moment. And I think that's so profound, right? It's like, oh, I don't know. You know, you really have to think about the the answer to that because it doesn't make any sense. You're like, yeah, obviously I know I can feel any way I want. Why do I always have to wait until I get what I want to feel that way? And I think once you start to really understand and grasp the gravity of how powerful that can be, that can be a really big moment uh, and a big incentive to start to work on feeling the way you want right now. Absolutely. Well, you guys, we're just about at time. Any last minute words of advice before we go? Um, Well, I wanted to add, you know, what you were talking about before with um with our perception and yeah i fell off instagram again i don't know what's going on today um um, we tend to um you know with our perception we we see everything and we see 
as soon as you go down the negative route, you see everything as negative and, and we stack everything on top of each other. And it just becomes this pile of overwhelming um, things that we have to do or tasks that we have to get through or just emotions on top of emotions that, you know, just make us feel overwhelmed or depressed or unhappy or all those things. But slowing down and what I've noticed is, you know, slowing down in meditation and why it's so important to me is I'm now able to separate all these things that keep stacking on top of each other um, and just, you know, do it whatever, one day at a time or one thing at a time, one tiny little thing at a time or break things down into easy easier steps and without getting overwhelmed anymore um and it's it's in, it's incredible it's it, it is profound and it, it's just it's so helpful and it it does bleed into every um part of your life if you can you know i started meditation to get over anxiety and i had no idea what it was going to do for me for the rest of my life i i cannot you know, not meditate anymore because I know what it does for me and, I, what, and how it can help me achieve all the things I want to achieve in life. It's, it's incredible, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, there's no, no doubt I encourage every single person in this world to start a meditation and mindful practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. This is a big one. Uh, it's a really, really, really important one. Meditation is king. Um, it is, is mindfulness and meditation, I should say, because it is, as Sydney was saying earlier, it doesn't have to be sitting under the tree, you know, like the guru master. It can be so many things. It's so important. And as we learn how to slow down, and quiet our mind, we learn that we have this incredible power that we didn't know was there that can really change everything in phenomenal ways. So it's the gateway, it's the beginning. Um, and yeah, we just encourage everybody to start somewhere because it's worth it. You guys have a beautiful day. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, stay safe and stay healthy and stay sane and we'll see you guys again next Friday.